Welcome to Sculpture Vulture. I'm Lucy Branch, a sculptural conservator and author, bringing you a series of interviews with some amazing sculptors who inspire me and I hope will do the same for you. You can see the photographs accompanying the interview, the episode show notes and get a free novel from sculpturevulture.co.uk. Today I have the great pleasure in introducing you to Rodney Munday. He has gained a reputation for his site-specific sculpture in bronze. And in recent years he's secured many public commissions, among them St Andrew, Fisher of Men, a sculpture for the Minster Church of St Andrew in Plymouth, Alfred Russell Wallace, memorial to the evolutionary theorist and polymath, and the gift at Chichester and Worthing Hospitals. Rodney and I came across each other when he asked me about the suitability of some protective coatings for his upcoming commission for St John the Baptist Church in Sirencester and I just immediately felt like he was a kindred spirit and I wanted to interview him. So today I thought we'd kick off our chat by asking him about when he began his creative journey. Right, well my creative journey really goes back as long as I can remember. Um, I've always drawn and as a child, I used to make little plasticine figures. And uh, when I first went to school, I was given some little plaster moulds for pushing plasticine into, for taking, um, demoulding little bits of sculpture, really. Um, and that memory has always stuck with me. And I think when I started making moulds for my own work, um, that, that all came back. So, yes, it's been a, it's been a long journey. And have, was it something that you did... When you came out of school, it was a prof it was always going to be your profession, or did life take you in another direction first? Um, I suppose life takes me in a lot of different directions. I, when I was at school, when I was up to the age of about um, eleven, I thought I'd be a writer, um, and from then on, I wanted to be a, an artist. But I only really thought about painting because um, I went to a, a, a very good school art-wise. Um, I was while I was doing A level, I was doing life drawing with professional models every week and uh, but i hadn't done any three-dimensional work though a teacher there told me told me that i drew like a sculptor um, and i went to art school but i gave up after a week for all sorts of reasons really but one i think was perhaps that it came as a bit of a, of a disappointment after the education that i had at school and i then thought that i needed to make up my mind quickly because for one thing at that age three years is a long time ahead of you um, and also I felt that I needed to make a decision as to what I was going to do. Um, and I went back to school and was just in time to take the Oxford entrance exam. And I then read English for three years. And uh, one of my main tutors was a sculptor, um, which was, was, was interesting. Well, that sounds to me like it was meant to be. <laughs> There's no way around and, it. <laughs> <laughs> and then I didn't, then I, although I, I continued to, draw and paint and, and, and started sculpting after I left Oxford really. Most of my time was taken up farming because I, I, I was born on a farm and, uh, and that was my profession for a, a long time. And uh, the, the sculpture just, uh, it, it just sort of crept in and somebody at one point suggested that I did some craft fairs and I happened to attach myself to a, a craft fair which, um, which was at the Hampton Court Flower Show. And while I was in the craft tent, my wife was going around the show and she said, there are some real sculptors out there. She said, that's where you should really be. So I saw them and, uh, and uh, did Hampton Court the next year and uh, said, how about the Chelsea Flower Show? And they said, oh, well, there's an eight-year waiting list for that. But I, I managed to get into that a year later. 
and I did did the RHS shows for 10 years, um, which gave me a, a, a worldwide clientele, really. Uh, so that was, that was... It was a side endeavour. It wasn't your main livelihood at the time. You were just doing little bits in the background at home. That's right. That's right, yes. Um, so it was, uh, and it, it, it was lovely when it took off. And it, it actually, it, it, it took off at the time that farming went into decline. And uh, sometimes, sometimes I find the art goes into decline. Well, I think <laughs> everything I, I ebbs and flows, doesn't it? <laughs> ebbs and flows. So, so it's, it's handy to have both there. I mean, I don't do much in the way of, of, of farming now. It's, uh, we have a very small family farm and um, most of the work is out to contract. Um, but we do, do do haymaking and we do a little bit of, um, of straw for thatching using old machines. I was thinking that there's definitely something about not asking too much of your creative self sometimes. If you are needing money from it, I think sometimes it puts the muse or the part, the joy of it under too much pressure. And somehow things don't seem to work when you're trying to force them to happen. But when they, it sounds like an evolution for you. And when that road takes you there, it's often much luckier in some ways. It's almost like the muse wants to help you as opposed to when you're demanding of it. Well, I I think that is absolutely right. Um, I think that, you know, when, with regard to the muse, it's, it's, it's not something you can pursue. It's rather more like the, the wind that bloweth where it listeth, and you have to be open to it. But if you actually chase it, you, it's, it's like happiness. Um, you know, that, that's not, way, not the way to achieve it. I, I remember, I think it's Elizabeth Gilbert, the, the writer, she tells a fantastic anecdote in uh, her biography about writing, and she has this thing about, snakes and how sometimes uh, a creation it's it's a snake that is disappearing into a hole and you have to grab it by the tail and force it out <laughs> and and others <laughs> slither right past you and sort of wink and she just I just thought <laughs> such a lovely analogy that the some are just don't want to be there and you have to wrestle them out <laughs> <laughs> so funny I didn't realize that you'd had this education such a, a great education from Oxford in English but when I was reading about you uh, what you'd written about your sculptures it's actually very literary what you're the way that you write and so has that never tempted you either you haven't thought to yourself maybe I'll put the sculpture to one side for a year or so and dabble in a bit of writing well I I mean I I suppose I write what used to be called cottery poetry. Um, so that I write poems really just, just for people I know and for myself. But I do write the odd thing. I mean, I've written a few... I, when I was uh, farming, I wrote a few articles for Farmers Weekly and I've, I've written some articles um, on art um, recently for, for The Jackdaw. I don't know if you've come across it. It's a slightly strange art magazine. I haven't, and, but uh, I'm going to be checking it out now. <laughs> <laughs> And some time ago, I wrote a, 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 an article which really sets out the way I think about art, I suppose, which I call the myth of the artist um, for the Salisbury Review. Oh, fantastic. Um, and, uh, and I'm thinking, actually, with my the current commission that I've got of, 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 of possibly producing a book mm. um, to, to show where it, uh, because it, it, it's for um, the church at Sirencester, and to, to, to place what I'm doing within 
the historical context of Christian art, which is which is an interesting one, I think. And is it a particular interest for you, Christian art? Because I see that quite a few of your commissions have that aspect to them. Yes, I mean, I, I think probably for 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 a number of reasons. One is that I I I love above all else dealing with the human form. I mean, I like animals. Um, I like anything that, that that sort of lives and moves, but the, the human form is an animal form. But but also it's one in, with which it is possible for me to relate directly because I'm a person. And one of the things about about um, religious art is that it almost inevitably um, involves you in, 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 in the human form. So that is, that is one thing that I like about it. Another thing that I like is usually the people who are commissioning it to the churches, they're good because they have an idea of what they want. And this is, this is true, I think, of, of, of private commissioners as well. It doesn't mean that they're putting you under pressure to do something the way they want it, but they have an idea of what they want. Whereas a lot of commissions that come onto the market, especially those which have to do with development, um, are the result of things like 106 agreements, um, where there is an obligation for the person producing the development um, to have produced a piece of art, artwork to go with it. And because of that, they have no idea at all of what they want, but they've got money to get rid of. And so they write these briefs, which are usually a load of drivel, and uh, they encourage the artist to write drivel in response, I think. Oh, it's so um, funny. <laughs> when anything is a committee decision, somehow, yeah. somehow you get... No, I mean, I, I have a lot of similar problems with tenders for projects where I can tell immediately that you read it that um, the poor person who's been put in charge of it has never... <laughs> they've never even looked at a piece of bronze. They're not, they're not really uh, sure what they're doing. And they've had to write something that anyone who knows even the tiniest little bit sort of thinks oh no what what are you asking for it's madness but and it, it's annoying as well because it doesn't make the being able to fulfill the brief easy in those circumstances because having a knowledgeable client definitely means you i think you can you can actually deliver a better product in the end for them so i, I sympathize with that <laughs> Yes, and, and, and the other thing, of course, is, is that you are then able to have a rapport, yes. uh, which you can't have otherwise. And, and that's, I, that, I think, is terribly important, because um, if you have a relationship with, with the person you're producing something for, it makes you think, because you have to, because, you know, it, it is, it's, it's a two-way thing then. And uh, as, uh, as one of the Desert Fathers um, said, you know, the, the, the human soul is like a like a, a wood shaving coiled around its inner emptiness. And I think anyone who actually spends a lot of time on their own finds that you do need input from outside because there, there isn't that much inside a person, really. Um, you, you can get through it fairly quickly. Absolutely. Um, I think you're quite right. I, I, I often think to myself I should be thinking much deeper thoughts in life than I actually have. <laughs> I don't, don't admit it very often, but I quite often catch myself thinking very lightweight. Uh, but I mean, this this is the thing. I mean, you know, you, you you can have some good thoughts, but in the end, you run out of them. Yes. And you need to have you need to have input from outside. I think. Yeah. Um, and the other thing, the other thing with with um, with religious church art, religious art, um, is that I think that if there is anything that you are involved, that you can actually in, get involved in yourself, if it's if something that's important to you, you're likely to produce something that's better. And that doesn't matter matter whether it's it's just something which is which is beautiful or whether it has to do with social justice, or whether it has to do with religion. Anything that actually involves you 
because it, it is important to you, um, then ha it has value. Yeah, and, and much uh, more, much more inspiring to create as well. You're getting much more energy from something like that. I think. I, I like the idea as well, The from a conservation point of view, I like the fact that this relationship that you are able to strike up with the client that really is invested and knows what they want, uh, it's, it's much better for the object in the long run as well because they're much more likely to look after it properly and not just walk away. It's not just a development, something, a box they had to tick and then they're off onto the next project which needs something else fulfilling. They've got that long-term view just the way you hope that, that they will because at some point you have to pass it over and that's such a lot of work mm. that you've done and invested in it. Yes, I think that is absolutely true and, it, and it's lovely when you see that it does actually come to mean something for people. I was going to say, and you, you get to return to them, do you? Do you get to see the involvement that the eventually the community, I suppose, have? Because around a church particularly, you have got that wider community. Well, yes, that's the case. And I mean, I found that, that in, the, in, the, in the church pieces I've done, they've, they've usually wanted me to come and give talks while it's been ongoing. Um, and very and uh, and demonstrations in schools too, which is which is good. And then um, afterwards, at the for the the work at the um, at Plymouth Minster, the maquette was given. I gave to the church, and they then have um, sent it round different schools. And the first school it went to, I, I went along to the school when they were doing it, which which was after the event, which was nice. And and I find, generally speaking, I do keep in touch with the people that I've done commissions for. Mm. Um, and I think one of the most moving ones, in, in, in a sense, on, on, in, in that way, was the, the work that I did for Western Sussex Hospital Trusts, which was in connection with organ donation. And there are two figures sitting on a, on a, on a bench, and they're passing something between them, which is a, a gift. You can't see what the gift is, and you don't know which way the gift is going. Um, but it is, it's, it, I intended to, to represent organ donation. And uh, a number of, of, of things happened there, which I found incredibly moving. One was when it was actually being installed in, because there, there are two copies, one in Worthing Hospital and one in Chichester Hospital. And when the one was being um, um, installed in, in, in Chichester, um, there was a woman who was staring at it quite quite intently. And the, the, um, the, the, the chief of the commissioning body said to her, um, you know, you, you're, you're looking at it intently, what do you think of it? And she said, I just think it's a beautiful distraction. Um, and so she said, what do you mean? She said, well, I've just been told I've got cancer. Oh. And I thought, you know, that, that, that I found moving. And then, strangely, when, I, when I, um, the next piece went into, uh, into Worthing, and at the unveiling, there were a couple came up to me, and they said it meant so much to them. They said because um, their daughter had wanted to give an organ, and she, she'd been killed in a, in a car accident. She said they hadn't, they hadn't been in time. And they said the, the figure of the girl looked just like her. And wow. That uh, it, you know, that sort of thing. You think, well, chokes you actually. It, it really, it really does. You know, and then well, I've gone back there occasionally, and uh, and I find in in certainly in in Chichester Hospital, somebody's always putting flowers in the hand, in the hands of the girl, oh. and they're always just left there. And so that, if you can have that sort of that sort of involvement, and you've actually moved people in that sort of way, it, it is. I mean, well, it's humbling. I mean, it, it is absolutely, it's just a, a wonderful experience. And that's where the power in large-scale sculpture, I think, really, and public sculpture, there's a lot of people that will never, ever go into a gallery. Uh, sad fact, unfortunately, but there is mm. this aspect to public arts, art in public spaces, where 
people connect to it and are able to not feel threatened by the fact that somehow an institution that surrounds it makes it more threatening to them and they feel uncomfortable there but these spaces are just there it's just such a wonderful place to be able to engage with sculpture and and to see those things those those very precious suggestions in the sculpture and in the art it's one of the reasons that I love it more than anything else uh, any other type of art not just because I work (laughs) around and with it but just because I feel that it's a safe space in a way for people to enjoy it and to get and to connect with it Yes, and I think you, you get all sorts of comments, and I'm sure you must find this yourself when you're doing restoration work, that people actually come to you and speak about the pieces you're doing. Oh, yes. Oh, we did the bomber command, the vandalism of the bomber command last year, where someone mm. had thrown white paint over the sculptures. Uh, uh, it must have been a pacifism uh, sort of message, although there, nobody ever, it wasn't claimed. But mm. the we had dozens and dozens and dozens of visitors to that monument which they came from all over the world and the stories they told us about the relations they'd had that had served as part of the unit and the individuals in it i mean i could i could have done absolutely no work whatsoever i could have just talked (laughs) to them all day long Right. They were magnificent. But they engaged. The monument meant so much to them. Some of them had come from all over the world. South Africa said things, you know, we've been here seven times. And you think, and just to come here to London, that's why we come. Think, wow. I mean, what what commitment to a sculpture. But that's what it can create. So, yeah, I I agree. I was going to ask you a little bit about your create I don't know if you have a creative practice is is there anything that you do that helps you to move into the mood to be able to come up with some deep ideas moving out of the shallow ideas to the deep ideas (laughs) well (laughs) no I mean I think you know as we were saying before I mean I I I think that the I think the the muse is 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 something which in a sense makes use of you rather than you making use of it um, in a sense it's uh, you seem to really love your farming is that something that being outdoors and things feed into that process do you think well i think it it has to do with the whole love of creativity i mean one of the things that i i i, I really love to do if i'm taking somebody around the farm in the spring is when the corn is just a, a few inches high when it just starts to join i like to split the stem open above the first joint um, and show people the ear of corn, which is then perhaps two or three millimetres long, with all the grain there, and if it's barley, the beard as well. And there it is. It's like it's like looking into the womb. And and that is what... It, it is just such a wonderful symbol of creation. And I think what, what one of the things that... And that probably has been a gift that the farm has given me, is, is, is this wonder at creation. Um, you know, seeing all sorts of other things like animals as well, but but it is that whole creative thing, and I think, and that ties in to some extent with with, with the way in which I've been looking at uh, certainly recently at at, at, um, at church pieces. And some years ago, I mean, I haven't done a lot of the work I've done actually has all been to to commission, mm-hmm. and partly because sculpture is an expensive business, and if you're trying to do it yourself, you, you need to lay out money. But I've done just a couple of pieces for myself, and one was. Um, one was a, a piece which I called the creation of Adam and Eve, 
and the reason I did it was I was when I was in the old days when I was at a craft fair I was I I, I knocked up a, a little Adam sitting contemplating an apple and when I finished I thought I shouldn't have done it like that because he was complete I thought I should have had him not 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 made completely um, that he himself was being made because the the apple was in the garden before Adam was and it seemed to me that the that whole story about the creation of Adam and Eve is is and it has always attracted artists is terribly important because what it what it what it gives you is the is a creator who has an an idea and then he actually gets out there in in in, in the world outside himself to make it um, which is one of the reasons I'm not terribly keen on 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 um, con on um, conceptual art because as, as long as so long as a work of art just remains an idea in your mind, it, it, it is still born. Mm. So God goes out there and he, he makes Adam and Eve and they're, 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 they're not obedient, but he didn't intend them to be. I mean, the, the apple was shoved there um, in the garden for them to take it. And that is, that is the freedom that, the, the, it seems to me, that the artist gives to his work. And I think that, that when you're making something, you actually have a relationship with it and it gets away from you. And you can actually then have a rapport with the thing you're creating. And I think that's true of absolutely every kind of creation. It's, it's, it's true, true if you like, of God with Adam and Eve. It's true of, of, of parents with their children. And it's true if you're making a, a work of art as well. It, it gets away, and it is that rapport. And that is one of the really, really, I think, wonderful things about the whole, the whole creative thing, is that, it, in a sense, it doesn't, doesn't just come from you. It's a, it's a, it's a funny thing from outside. I, I totally uh, agree with that. Yeah, I am. Um, I'm. I've at the end of writing a novel at the moment, and I've had to set it aside. And it's just before the end, so it shouldn't be something that I have to set aside. It's just the moment where you would think you were going full steam ahead, but yeah. that. I can feel it moving away from me rather than towards me. And so I just feel it's the moment to, to pause. And I, I, that idea of, uh, of that creation cycle and going with it rather than fighting it. Funny that you did this sculpture many, it sounds like many years ago, and yet the idea has come back to you. I, I love yeah. that, that sort of motion within the idea. Yeah. And it's, uh, I mean, one, one of the things, I mean, one, one of the, the writers I like on this sort of thing is E.M. Forster. And at uh, one point, if I can remember exactly what he says, he says, he says, personality has become far too insistent these days. And I look back to a time when a poem was, was seen as an inspiration. Um, and it, it, and it came, it came from outside, and, and sometimes that inspiration came from God, and that was written by an agnostic. But, but he, what, he's, what, what he's saying is that, you know, it's not just, it's, it's, it's not, the personality is not important, it's something that comes in from, which is what inspiration means. Unfortunately, I can't remember his exact quote. Well, you've done that, very well to so. remember. I, whenever I'm reaching for a quote, again, it seems to <laughs> recede into the background. <laughs> <laughs> you've done amazing. Yeah, uh, I was going to ask yeah. you if you've had any conservation-related problems with your bronzes. Have you ever had any difficulties either with the f making them or with uh, thereafter once they've been installed? No, I mean the, the, the first I was really aware of a problem with bronze was with the the um, the, the issue over over um, 
a bronze a copper runoff and the greening of bronzes for the for the sirens commission which we've yeah. spoken about because i've uh, the pieces that i've done i've just really left outside to to sort of mature on the, on their own occasionally if if i've if it's been a private work when somebody's moved house or something and i've had to to move it from a, one garden to another one I, I might have just sort of cleaned it off and repolished but i haven't done have any you more. so you quite enjoy the idea of the natural degradation of your work uh, a, a, a sort of decline in in terms of surface well yes i mean to up to a point i mean I, because i haven't actually seen it go to a point where where it has become really detrimental mm-hmm. i mean if there's a um a sculpture i did in oxford at st edmund of abingdon um oh i love which, that piece uh, yeah Right, and that, that was placed on a on a on a on a lovely Yorkstone bench um, yeah. seat, um, and that, that that I mean that that has deteriorated far faster than the bronze, and I actually say to the college that they they ought to do something about that, and they, they were quite happy with the way it was going because it looked it's in a in a the grounds of, of their library, which is in fact an old churchyard, and and it, it it's going the same way as all the other stones in the churchyard but it was such a beautiful piece of stone i think that was a shame and i did in fact say to them that if they cleaned it which i thought they should do then i would actually wash down and, and, and repolish this, the, um, the 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 statue um that had a, a ferric finish and that actually has I and mean, that's darkened so you 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 would um, you would think it was um, you know, just, just, just well, I mean, more, over time, it, yeah. all outdoor patterners oxidise, and you get this naturally occurring patterna, which can be far more beautiful than what your original creation was. It also, unfortunately, can be become disfiguring. It depends on what the environment is providing it, and as to mm-hmm. quite and how it's being used. Obviously, if somebody is consistently sitting on it for photographs, say, it will change very differently to if it's being it's under a drain pipe, say. So you you've got that aspect to it i always think is quite an exciting aspect of seeing where it goes to is how is it going to develop because you really can't predict these things very often no no it's uh, no it's interesting i mean as i say i you know i've, I've liked the way things have gone so far yeah well i i definitely don't advise although obviously my my work is preservation i definitely feel that the view of the artist and the or the sculptor has has to be understood before you start doing anything because very often you get with restoration I think um, people coming in and they're trying to take it back to a point in time where perhaps the artist created it but that's not that's not necessarily the view of the artist they want to see it change and they want to see how people are going to use it and their impression upon it yes I mean it is a living thing in a sense isn't it in that in that in that sense and that's why bronze is so beautiful because it evolves. Uh, yes, it, it, it is. It's a, it's a lovely material. And, I, and certainly for what I do, <clears throat> it, it, it is really ideal because I, I mean, I, the, the material I, lo- I love to work in is clay. And, uh, and I always use terracotta clay, basically, because it, uh, I mean, I'm not, I mean, I, I, I think it's important to have a, a, a lovely finish in the bronze, but I, I'm not, you know, it, because I have a, a, a rough finish, um, I'm, I want a, a fairly plain Patination. So I either go for for, for liver or, or, or ferric or, or a very sort of straight. But that's green. sensible because they are very stable colours. It's when you branch out into the the very wild and wonderful palettes which you can achieve with 
beautiful patinated finishes, but they are much less stable. Those traditional colours will give you much less aggravation <laughs> in terms of conservation. So good choices. Right, yeah. And I mean, they—they they, certainly. I mean, the, the 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 variety of things, as you show in in your in in uh, Herrera gift and gold, you know that you can do wonderful things, but, but you need a smooth yeah. finish for that. I think. Um, but if you, if you're really concerned with the uh, um, with, with with the form and the shadows that you get within it, then there's nothing like a a, a, a brown bronze. Oh, I, I agree. Think. I love that uh, that traditional. We haven't got enough vocabulary in the. British language that describes the tones of bronze. Maybe that's what my ambition will be by the end of my lifetime, is to invent a whole vocabulary. What a wonderful thing to do. Well, I think we all need to have something yeah. to get on with. I think that would be a good one. <laughs> yes, it would indeed. I mean, to, actually, of course, to some extent, you do do that in a rarer gift than gold, because in addition to speaking about the <clears throat> that wonderful pattern, patination um, in it, you, you, of, 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 of different colours and, 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 and the patterning, um, you also say an awful lot about about you know the the, the brown bronzes themselves and how beautiful they are, as with the, the, the uh, doors. Maybe so, maybe too much for fiction. <laughs> maybe I should have maybe <laughs> it should have been a non-fiction book. <laughs> well, well, I don't know. I think it worked very well in it. I mean, it's a, but but then of course I have that interest. But I mean, one 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 thing that, that strikes me about that actually, and I do find it extraordinary, is that so many people who end up um, producing bronzes use a grey clay, and I really find that that bizarre. I mean, I know it's cleaner to use, but but it doesn't give you the same sense of of, of, the, of the of the shadows and the form that you're going to get if you're using that you are if you're using terracotta, which is close to what you're That's going to end right, up with. That's quite right, actually, because the the lovely warmth of the colour of that clay, it, it is. Mm. There's a similarity there between the the final material, the bronze. Yeah. No. So yeah. just if you could tell me a little bit about the Sirencester uh, commission that you've got on at the moment. I have obviously seen what you've put up on the on your website about it, but it does seem like a very right. interesting project. Yes, it, it is. It's a, it's a fascinating one. <clears throat> what happened was that uh, back in the in the 60s, the original statues, which were stone, had become dangerous. Um, and so they were taken down and then, <laughs> and then lost. Oh, no. <laughs> and... Uh, yeah, well, one of them, I think they were broken up, actually, as they came down. But one of them, I think the one of, of John the Baptist was uh, was put into a shed and the, and the shed caught fire. And that was oh, the end no. of that one. Um, and they, nobody knows what happened to the virgin and child, or even if it was the virgin and child, though they're pretty, pretty sure it was. Surprising, it's not that long ago. Um, but there seem to be very, very few photographs of, of what was there. And not many memories, really, which is uh, strikes me as bizarre. But anyway, they they wanted to have to, to replace these, and I was I was lucky to to, to get the commission, which I I've, it really has, has has absorbed my attention in all sorts of ways. It's it's lovely because it gives me the you know chance of of, of using the the human form again. Um, and for John the Baptist. Um, I was originally going to have him sort of leaning out, brandishing across the last of the Old Testament prophets, but uh, I wasn't really happy with that. And uh, I was speaking to the vicar there, and he said he'd seen an image of, of John the Baptist, um, um, a, a picture, I think it was, of him, of him with piercing eyes that saw through you. And he, he said he saw this as, a, as an image of God looking through John. Um, so that John was just, a, again, inspired, if you like. He was, he was just an intermediary. And uh, I thought that sounded sounded good. And then when I was in the church afterwards, someone came up to me and pointed out a window where 
John the Baptist was holding a, a lamb. And uh, all the images I've seen of John the Baptist that, I, that I'm aware of are he's always with him as a child with a lamb. So I thought, well, this was a good one. And he was holding the lamb out. And, of course, Sirencester gained its, uh, its wealth through the, through the, through the wool industry. Um, so it, was, it, it tied in with the town itself as well, as well as just being a, a, a Christian symbol. And then for the Virgin and Child, I, I, rather than have a the Virgin with a baby, um, I got a, a, a little boy Christ, and because it's going to be up at 60 feet in the in the in the up the tower, um, she's holding him out, having a, having a look, um, like any inquisitive child with a mother, and um, and of, and of course he, he happens to be in the in the position of the crucifixion. So it's in a sense it's a it's, it's a cross between um, Virgin and Child and Pietà. Um, so it's uh, it, it, it was just those sort of really interesting ideas came in. And then I was thinking about um, John the Baptist and, and and the Virgin and Child and how you know they both tie in with the incarnation. And and again, because it was a religious thing, my ideas about about creation and the whole creation story and the importance of redemption and and the way in which the three tie together. So theologically, I found it very interesting to do, which is. One of the reasons why I'd like to to write this book to go with it, because um, the the whole process of Christian art, as with Christianity itself, is a changing one. So that people are trying to do different things at different times, um, and you are always of your own time. But I think what you have to do is is, is keep in mind the the continuum that, that you're a part of. And that, that I found is very, very interesting that you've drawn so much from the context of where the sculptures will be, that you've taken different sorts of threads and brought them together, actually, within these um, figurative sculptures. But I love the fact that there's so much feeding into them, but definitely that it's of, of that place. And mm-hmm. not just yes. as a general, from uh, generally from text. Obviously, there's there's um, the textual inspiration as well, but it, it's it's a joint ideas coming together there. Well, I think I think that is always in, in, important, and it's, it's certainly important if you're if you're putting sculpture in somewhere, um, because that's how you relate to the people who are there, and and it is that relationship between the between the sculptor and the and and, and, and the people he's doing it for, because. Um, if there's no relationship, it, 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 it hasn't got the same importance. Um, I mean, I found the same thing for the statue of, um, of St. Andrew for Plymouth Minster, who's casting a fishing net. And uh, again, the net is, is you know, is, is, still, is, is still a fishing port, Plymouth. So it has a, a, a direct relationship. Fantastic energy that net has with the sculpture, I think. it's It really has got a, a sort of captured intensity there of of i just that's a really nice piece well thank you yeah i mean i i I really enjoyed doing that it was it it was a lovely piece to do yeah that was great so uh, have you any um, ambitions to have a sculpture in a certain place where if you could (laughs) have one of your sculptures where would you have it Gosh, I don't know. I mean, I'm I, I'm I'm very happy with the places I've got them at the moment. I mean, Plymouth Minster. I mean, that was that was that was such a wonderful site for a sculpture. I mean, I couldn't have asked for anything better than yeah. that. Um, you know, it's it's wonderful on top of those pillars forming an arch. I mean, it's a. I, I couldn't have imagined a, a better place. It really and, looks uh, like it, it. It was made for it, really, doesn't well, it? Yeah, I mean, people have said they they, they it looks as though it's always been there. <laughs> Huge compliment. <laughs> it's rather nice. Yeah, but uh, and again with with the with Sirencester, I think again it's it's you know these these things happen and uh, 
it's it's not a point of looking for somewhere. I mean, if if something turns up like that, you, you, you if you were looking for somewhere, you wouldn't find anywhere better. No, um, it's it's just lovely. Well, where can people find you if they'd like to know more about your work? Well, I suppose my website is the is the best spot. I mean, I've got a Facebook page as well, um, and I'm on Instagram. But um, I but will put those it, details in the show notes. But if you'd like to just tell everyone what your website where they what your website address is. Right, the website is www Rodney Monday, that's all one word, with Monday spelled with a U, um, at gmail.com. Perfect. And you, are you, you're on Facebook, I know. Are you on Twitter? No, I'm not. No, so Facebook is your other platform. That's right. I mean, in a sense, the, the, the website is best because I, I do write about what I've been trying to do in the, in the different pieces. So if anyone's interested to see where they've come from. I don't like huge explanations about works of art. There's too much of that these days. But I do do think it's interesting to know why you're doing something and, and, and what it has its connections with. Brilliant. Well, thank you very much, Rodney. I'm really thrilled to have chatted to you today and hope to speak to you again soon. Well, it's lovely to speak to you too, Lucy. And I, I look forward to your forthcoming books. Oh, thank you. Just a small correction there to Rodney's website details. His website is actually rodneymonday-sculptor.co.uk. What a great character Rodney is and someone I could have spoken to all day. In fact, very nearly did. After our interview ended, we carried on nattering for a good half hour. I could have even gone on longer. I think what struck me more than anything else during this interview was what a great mind he has. And during our chat, I got that sense that although he'd become a sculptor, his creativity is fluid and it could have been expressed in any number of ways. If maybe life had taken him in another direction, it could have been his pen rather than his clay that crafted those ideas he has. And now it's got me wondering whether some great literary works have not been written. We've been deprived of them. (laughs) Maybe it's best not to think about that. In the next episode coming up, we'll be featuring the mighty Mike Speller. He's a really distinctive figurative sculptor and his work is popping up all over the world. Though being UK based, he's got a very strong presence in the public spaces here. His works just make you, they make you stop and admire. And so I'm really looking forward to sharing that interview with you. If you're looking for a new book, please consider one of my novels about the dark side of the art world, where sculpture is always at the heart of the story. You can get them on the show website, on the usual online retailers, or even better, keep your local library alive, ask for them in there. Thank you for joining me today. Sculpture Vulture has been brought to you by Antique Bonds.